Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today on the show, I've got a special guest joining me, Scott Shotton. He's been on the show before. Uh, he's a, a mobile technician, automotive educator at both the college and industry level. And Scott's joining me on the show today to talk about exactly that, education in the automotive field. What does today's technician entering the field need to know to be successful? You know, what can we do as educators, instructors to prepare them to be as successful as possible in today's automotive world? What do we need to consider as a teacher or instructor going into these classes, whether it be the college or the industry level? And how can we be the best learning facilitators that we possibly can be? Because that's the goal here. So we cover this and a lot more. Really enjoyed this talk with Scott. So let's jump right into the interview. Well, how's it going, Scott? How's life? Uh, life is good. Uh, well, it's good, except i um, hiding in my uh, office right now talking to you because my wife uh, is positive for COVID. Oh, so man. for the pa- past couple of days, I've been kind of chilling out and, you know, st- staying away from my wife, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> Yeah, well, my wife had it in November and that was, yeah, it was very strange because, I mean, you're in the same house, so there's only so much you can do, but Right. It's it's really weird trying to keep your distance with somebody you spend yeah. all your time with. <laughs> right, right. Well, well. Luckily, my kids are a little bit older uh, because I'm old, and uh, they're all out of the house right now. So we have spare bedrooms, and so yeah, we're we're we can we can uh, sequester. Would that be a good word? <laughs> sure, sure. We can, we can stay apart. Uh, it's relatively easy, and I can say that we now have the cleanest doorknobs on earth <laughs> because you walk, you walk around with those uh, sanitary wipes and wipe the doorknob, anything you touch. So our doorknobs are very clean. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, talking about being sequestered, we are, I think one of maybe three programs or um, you know, groups of students that are actually on campus at the college that I teach at. I think it's nursing and there's one other oh, auto body is the other one. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's this huge campus and they do, they teach academic courses. Um, it's actually across the street, but it's the same campus and there's nobody there, but us and some janitors and some security officers. And we're walking around and it's, it's so strange compared to what it used to be at the college. Yeah. And we actually got, um, cause they need to space us out for classroom stuff, right? We can't be in our small classrooms. 
um, they gave us this big science classroom that I get to teach in. It has two projectors and you could fit like 75 people in this room, <laughs> but I've got my 14 students. They're all spread out. Um, it, it's so weird. I get windows in that classroom. That's pretty nice, but eventually I'll have to go back to my little uh, dungeon <laughs> of a classroom that I normally teach in. <laughs> the, the college that I worked at, they downsized the uh, cap for classes so they could spread the students out. So we're a relatively small college. They had a cap at, I think it was 12 students per class, which is actually awesome. I really yeah, like that, having a small group of students. I think they're down to eight um, is the cap for each class so they could spread people out. So your college obviously chose to move you to a larger classroom so you could have you know, more, more spacing. So that's two ways to do it. One is downsize the, the number of students in the same classroom or upsize the classroom and keep the same number of students. Either way, um, it, it works for social distancing. Yeah. It's, it's just one of the things we talked about it with our Dean and the administration, because we did spring all online. Like when COVID first hit in 2020, nobody was allowed to go on campus unless you needed teaching equipment. So it was all online and it was, we did the best we could, but it's terrible for a trade. I mean, I think for a lot of education, it's probably not the best, but for a trade, it's just, you're not getting so much of what you need to do if you're going to try to learn this stuff. So we, we made the, the pitch over the summer, like we have to be back in person. Of course they want to limit it as much as possible, but like, we got, we got to be there. We got to make this happen somehow. And luckily they did let us and we've been able to do the in-person thing. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, they're paying for the education either way. And I want to deliver the best that I can for them. I want them to actually get something out of it that eventually COVID will be over or be a memory. And they're still going to need to perform in their careers for decades to come. So I want to, I want to be able to set them up for that. That was right. something that was really important to me. And of course we can do it safely, but man, I still think it's so important to be face to face with them. I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, a, a simple question is how do you teach a trade without touching stuff, right? Whether it's welding, whether it's, I mean, can, can you or I, and I'm not a great welder, Right. But can we teach someone how to weld in with what we're doing right now? No, right. no, you can't. They have to actually get their hands on it. Can you teach someone how to cut a rotor? Right. right? A machine a rotor. I'm sorry, better way to say it. Um, you know, can can you do that, you know, without them actually doing it? You can explain it, but yeah, you know, it's no, it's not the same. So the trades. You know, I don't care what the trade is, plumbing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, electricians, it, it, it doesn't matter. You can't do a good job, te- in my opinion, you can't do a good job teaching those skills without some hands-on. And COVID has messed that up. So, yeah, for sure. Um, we were lucky, I guess, in, in this aspect is at least in our trade, we have a lot of electrical, especially the courses that I'm teaching. I have a lot of electrical stuff I can pull on and we can work with that in an online structure. And that's really what my focus was this spring. Um, but man, I, I feel so bad for, like you said, auto body or welding because there's, 
I feel so such limited amount that you could get across in an online format and the rest of it, it's, it's like muscle memory, right? You have to be doing it repetitively to gain those skills. So, uh, I really feel for, uh, coworkers that taught those programs uh, in our school, but yeah, hopefully we'll get back to normal at some point here. Yeah. At some point we will. <laughs> and then we'll have something new show up. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, there's, there's always a curveball for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay. So I wanted to bring you on here today to talk about exactly what we're what we're getting into here is education in the automotive realm. And I was thinking a good way to start this off was I I'm curious to know how you got into teaching. So I know you taught at the college level and you teach at the professional industry level. What got you into that? And I mean, I guess, how long did you do each? I know there was some overlap uh, where you did both. Okay. Um, Okay. I don't want to be too long winded, but I'm going to make a statement really uh, quick first. The, those who can't do teach (laughs) is BS, (laughs) right? In some cases it's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think you, you agree. And many of our listeners will agree that, that when you have to teach something, then you realize where your faults are, right? Oh crap. I was doing this wrong. All the, I have to explain this to somebody and right. So we put that aside. All right. So that's one thing that I wanted to put away, right? Mm -hmm. Done, gone, done. My, um, Hmm. Where do we start? I want. Try, I don't want to be too long. Um, hey, there's there's no rules. It's, <laughs> it's my podcast. So we can go as long as we want. Right. Okay. Cool. Okay. So so my history, and I don't normally. This is one of the things I'm I'm uncomfortable with at the moment uh, because when I start my classes, um, I keep my introductions super short. I don't play. You know the I have X number of ASC certifications, and I did this, and I did that. And whatever, but the the way you phrase that question is, how did I get into this? Um, yeah, well, what led you to of, be a teacher? Yeah, well, that kind that kind of warrants, you know, wh- how did this happen, right? So, I actually fell into this industry. Um, I was doing uh, advertising design because when I was in high school, I was a long hair hippie playing guitar and doing artwork. Right? <laughs> okay, that, that was that was high school. Right. And I'm sure many of us can probably <laughs> associate <laughs> with that. Sure. Um, and, and then I became a bum and, you know, slept in a car a couple nights in Chicago in January. Not very comfortable. Um, but I ended up joining the army and I decided probably one of the smartest choices of my life was I decided to um, pick another career that would help me. Um, my intent was to go back for advertising design, but I chose mechanics. Okay. Okay. So I went to the military and became a mechanic in the military and I did very well at it and I enjoyed it. And I actually got a couple of ASC certifications while I was still in the military. Um, and then when I got out, instead of going back to um, advertising design, I went back to school and got my degree Um while I was working at a Ford dealer, I got my degree um, for automotive service technology uh, from a community college in Glen Ellen, Illinois, a college of DuPage. Okay. Right? So, 
at, at the same time, I met, um, again, networking is a big part of this. Uh, I met one of my instructors, which is going to come back here in a minute, right? That, that ended up hiring me because he was a shop owner, ended up hiring me. And he took me from the Ford dealer to that independent shop. And I worked there for 15 years as a wrench, 14, okay. 15, something like that. So I was a, a full-fledged 50 hours a week plus sometimes, right? Technician, turning wrenches, doing transes, doing whatever. And, and while I was doing that, um, the head guy at the college that I graduated from approached me about teaching part-time. So I was working 50 hours a week at the shop and teaching two nights a week um, engine performance type um, classes, electrical or, you know, engine performance one, you know, whatever the case, right? That's what I was teaching two nights a week. Then I go home and go to sleep. Okay. And I get back up and I go back to work and I turn a wrench for 10 hours and then I would go and teach. Right. So it was, it was a rough part of, uh, you know, my, uh, mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Right. Sure. Right. And I did that for seven years. Okay. And, and then, um, I, at the same time, I started teaching for the Illinois EPA for their emissions testing program. And that's okay. where the aftermarket started to come into play. So I started doing aftermarket stuff for the Illinois APA and a couple other classes here and there. I started teaching at Vision. Uh, I started teaching at uh, Tech Expo in uh, Grand Rapids. And at the time it was Milwaukee. Um, I started doing those classes. Then I moved into my, my part-time mobile business, got a little bit busier. And I switched to full-time college instruction, much like you do. Okay. Okay. So, so I think where I'm at, my my path is right about where you are now, right? Gotcha. You teach full-time at the college and do mobile, you know. Uh, yep. Exactly. Otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So I I did that for about uh, eleven years, I think. Some something like that, right? So I was teaching full-time during the day. And, and doing mobile on, you know, afternoons, weekends, Fridays, yeah, whatever the case. And then mm-hmm. just last, right when COVID started, <laughs> technically my, and I'm going to do air quotes here, my retirement, and I'm okay. not old enough to retire, but my retirement from the college was in June of uh, 2020. Okay. Right. So now I'm full-time mobile, but I still train around the country, you know, gotcha. or, you know, or, or virtual, which is yeah. now because of COVID. I, I watched your uh, engine mechanical class uh, for vision just recently. I enjoyed that. So, so I didn't suck. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I, I, it was funny. You had the Nissan that had, what was it? Uh, the flex plate that was. Oh, the last one, the very last one. Yeah. Shifted or something. And it was funny. I had one that was almost identical in what had happened, like the same day or the day prior or something like that. It was, it was pretty funny. I was listening to it. I'm like, Oh, I, I know it's I know it's wrong. <laughs> I just went through that. <laughs> uh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny how that works out. 
Um, so do you remember your first day actually like teaching in front of a class when you'd never done it before and you're standing oh up my in god in front of the group and what uh, that okay. felt like? I got two days. I got I got two days to tell you about. Okay. One is the first time teaching in front of college students um was probably not as stressful as teaching in front of the industry. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. So teaching in front of college students and you had never taught before, that was a little bit uh, like, yeah, sweating, wiping your brow, you know, stressful. And once, once you get into your zone and you know the material, then if you're prepared, you're okay. Um, the, the industry, when you walk into a room of, I don't know, 20 people or, 200 people you know it depends on where you're at yeah you, know, you have you have no clue in the industry you have no clue you know who's the who's the entry-level guy that's in your class and who's the advanced level guy or girl okay to be fair right that's that's in that class so you know it's it's a little bit nerve-wracking and i'll be honest the first five minutes of my class even to this day I am super nervous. I'm still nervous, right? Because I, I just, it, but once you get into your zone and you just have to know that, you know, I know the material, mm-hmm. we move forward. If someone asks a question and you don't know the answer, then you just suck it up and go, I, I don't know the answer. Then then there's no problems, right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to start uh, BSing your way through stuff, especially no. I, I would feel at a, perf- a professional level because they're going to see through you pretty quick. <laughs> you can right. you can BS some some college students along some of the time, but <laughs> not somebody <laughs> that's been doing this for twenty years. Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, you being a college instructor, that's one of the things that uh, I, I do. I don't BS them, um, but if they ask a question that you know, I don't know the answer to, because I'm not perfect. I give the option. I'm like, okay, let's theorize. Yep. Should this work? How does the manufacturer say this works? Okay, cool. Go pull me up the uh, description of operation or whatever the case. And then we talk about it. And, but you still don't, or I don't um, say, yeah, this is how it is. No, let's do the research because you're really doing the same thing you're doing working on a car. You're going mobile. I mean, how often do you read description of operation? Oh, I mean, it. <laughs> I, I hold that near and dear to my heart. I, yeah. I, I, I go often, right to that. <laughs> how often do you read the diagnostic charts? Yeah, that that's more if I'm, <laughs> I'm scanning for info. Like I need to know right, this value. Right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So the description of operation is is quite often more valuable than the actual diagnostic chart because the chart just says something stupid like check this wire, check voltage, (laughs) check this wire, you know. But then again, when 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 I when a student follows a chart and they go to step four and it says check the resistance of this wire, I, I tell them to think about what are you checking. Right. Or, yeah, I can I can do A and B and go yes or no and go to the next step in the chart. But if you understand what you're actually checking, 
that actually helps you learn about you know the system. That that is one of the most important things that I stress to students that are learning this for the first time is if you're going to do a test, any, any test, it doesn't matter what it is, you should have an expected result. And if you don't have an expected result from that test, let's say everything's working normally. And that's, this is the result I would expect if everything's working normally, if you don't have that in your mind, or you don't have an idea, you need to stop and figure that out before you proceed any further, or that test is completely worthless, but that's a flow chart, right? We're just looking or yes or no, and moving on to the next one don't necessarily understand why we did that test or what we're actually measuring. And uh, that's one of the big things I really try to focus on with them. Slow down, think about what you're doing. Why why am I doing this test and what do I expect? Yep, I agree. I completely agree. Um, One of the biggest things for me when when I started teaching was when you're in front of a group and I try to make it as interactive as, as I can. Um, but you want questions, right? And you were saying like somebody asked a question that maybe, maybe you don't know, but I just, I just like questions. I like the interaction. I don't want to know that they're engaged. And when you have a really quiet group, it's, it's kind of tough to you, you as an instructor are kind of struggling through it. Cause I just, I don't want to just talk and have them listen. That's, that's not real learning. I want them to be engaged and asking questions. So you get a real quiet group and it's like, Oh man, this, this kind of sucks. Um, but as a student or somebody who's been in class, you know, I'll go to, you know, industry classes and stuff. A lot of times I'd find myself not asking a question because I didn't want to bother the instructor. I didn't want to look stupid by asking this question. But then I was a teacher. I'm like, I, I don't just ask whatever you're thinking. I really want to hear it. And I guess for anybody that's in a class, just spit it out there and, and let, let us know <laughs> what I, you want to know. I want to hear it. <laughs> I would I would completely agree because, you know, um, whether the students realize it or not, there are strategic places in, in your class. And you whether you realize it or not with your classes, there are certain spots in your presentations where you are fishing for questions, right? For discussion, because the discussion can make it great. And, and that that's one of the issues I have with uh, training in the industry. If we got a time slot of let's say three hours, right? And we get an hour and a half in and a, a something comes up and you pose this, you know, situation. And all of a sudden questions start coming up. That is the best part of class because, you know, you got 40 people in the room. One person asked the question, you know, the four other probably had the same question, right? And then you start talking about it and then people get involved and then they start, you know, discussing it and cool. You you move forward. All of a sudden, next thing you know, a half an hour is gone. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're like trying to get, but, but it was a productive half an hour. Exactly, and, and that's really the goal. That as as an instructor in front of the room, whether it's a, you know an industry event or you know like a vision or an ATE Seattle, whatever the case, you get the point. Or it's the uh, excuse me, the college classroom when you when you pose a question and everyone sits there and goes and says nothing. It's like, come on. I gave you stuff here. There's, there's discussion points. Let's go. Right. And 
And no, it's always, the the silent audience is the worst thing for an instructor, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, my my class I had last year versus the class I had this year. My class last year was just very to themselves, very quiet just sort of, I don't want to stand out. And so it it was tough. And I would do, somebody told me to count to eight in my head, you know, after you ask a question and somebody Mm -hmm. will almost always say something. This class really pushed that. (laughs) I was was getting up to, you know, 10, 11. Yeah. (laughs) Like, okay, we're just playing chicken here before somebody says something, but um, it's every group's different, right? Every group of people. And sometimes you almost need to, uh, to control, control it a little bit, or it goes way off in left field. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the thing. I would much rather, you know, spend that time going off in some maybe different direction that's semi-related and we don't get all to all the classroom points versus me covering every detail perfectly. And they didn't say a thing. They're not going to learn as much from that. I I don't think they're not going to take as much away from me just pontificating my knowledge up front. We got to interact. I got to know what you want. Um, One of the things I do with them is at the end of maybe a discussion or I get to a certain point in what, whatever we're doing. And I feel like there hasn't been a lot of questions. I'll have them write down on a piece of paper with no name, just a question about what we just talked about. Right. So we just covered spark plugs. Okay. So whatever we talked about, write down a question that you have, pass it up to me. You don't have to have your name on it. I'll read the question out loud and I will answer it. So they get their question answered. They, they don't have to ask it out loud. And mm-hmm. Then the other thing is, like you said, there's four or five people always, always that have the same question and they were too scared to ask that question because they want to look stupid. So um, everything just goes to show again, anybody that's in class, whatever you're thinking, wondering, someone else probably is too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's funny how, you know, I, I probably was the same way when I was, uh, you know, 19 years old. Now I don't give a crap. <laughs> I'm <gonna say laughs> myself a little bit, right? It's like if I got a question, I'm going to ask it. Yeah, right? and 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 find out because I'm there for a reason. But you know, the 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 younger people, especially in the college level, they're they're shy. And then you, you could be in the industry level. And, and when I say level, I'm, you, you know what I mean? I'm not yep. talking about age. I don't want to be discriminatory here, you know, but you know, you've been in the, you've been in the business for a couple of years or 20 years, you know, you could still be shy about asking that question. Just ask the question, just ask it, you know, and if the trainer bullshits way through it, then, you know, okay. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, but if the trainer does a good job answering it and is truthful, okay, good. We're good, right? Whether it's college level, high school level, mm-hmm. or you know, industry level. Um, you so you mentioned something there as far as like a range of skill in a particular class, and I think you'd definitely see that in the industry training and and you can speak to that what you've seen but in a college setting we definitely see a large range of skill meaning that we'll have some students come in that have like 
almost little to no mechanical background. Like they don't know the basic hand tools, right? We're, we're there to help them and, and get them through that. But then you have, um, you know, we're kind of in a rural area and we, we get some people maybe that live, grew up on a farm. And I mean, they've got the nuts and bolts of it down. They're there to learn the technical stuff. And we've got to try to get everything together right. so that everybody gets something out of that. What's, what's your experience with, with that? How do you handle that range of skill in a single class? Okay. So your, your situation is very similar to the situation I was in when I was at the college full-time um, because we are in corn country, um, you know, rural, um, mm-hmm. about an hour West of Chicago and believe it or not, uh, it doesn't take that long out of Chicago before you're in you're in corn country. Um, so, exactly as you were saying, I've got I had students that uh, you know grew up on the farm fixing their John Deere's and you know their combines and you know all, all that kind of stuff. But then I also had students that were like, oh, I maybe I'll work on a car and they don't know what a, well, we'll go extreme, don't know what a wrench is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they probably know what a wrench is, but they probably don't know righty tighty lefty loosey, that, that kind of, you know, thing. So, and, and that is one of the challenges of being a college instructor with uh, 17, 18, 19 year old kids. Mm-hmm. Because some have already been, you know, swapping motors into their old Mustang or something like that with their dad in the garage, and other ones, uh, you know, male, female, it, do- it doesn't matter, right? They have no, no clue. So that that makes the the college instructor's job very tough. So how do you deal with that? Um, mm. You have to, as an instructor, you almost have to spend a little extra time with the, uh, let's, I'm trying to think of the most uh, politically correct way to say this. The, well, it's the, not as experienced. The, the less experienced. Okay. Um, spend a little extra time with them, but that means you're taken away from the more experienced ones. So you kind of need to give them something to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all right, cool. Well, all right, plug in the scan tool and pull some trouble codes and tell me what's going on. And while they're doing that, then you worry about the, you know, and again, it depends on the, the curriculum from the school and what class you're in. And are you in the shop or are you in the classroom? Because you're going to get people nodding off, you know, oh, yeah, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. This is a waste of my time. But there's going to be the the less uh, less educated, I guess. I, I, I'm, sure. I'm trying to be correct. Like, yeah, they're going to suck that stuff up. But then um, the the funny thing is, there's a little gray area in the middle because those people that those students, and we're talking about, and eh, it happens in the industry as well. But we're going to talk about college at the moment. They they think they know their crap, right? Yeah, and then they kind of, you know, and I'm not going to do that homework. I'm not going to read that chapter of the book. I'm not going to do whatever. But when it comes down to test time and they challenge you or whatever, you go, oh, 
Yeah, you didn't realize that a catalyst monitor was two trips <laughs> minimum, <laughs> right? And you, what enable criteria? What? Wait, what? What's <laughs> enable criteria? You know, yeah, you should have paid attention in class because you were dozing off because you thought it wasn't important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and again, I'm uh, well, you, a broad, broad scope going on right here. I mean, a college and being a college instructor is tough. It's it's very tough, right? Yeah, and well, I mean, it's it's not any secret that you know our industry is still male dominated, and I, I think that nineteen to twenty two year old guy is very likely to have the attitude that you were describing, where right they they've got a little bit of experience. Maybe they you know they put a motor in, they did high school auto, and they're you know. They, they, they always like to ask about the tuning and oh, I got this, you know, Mitsubishi yep. and I do this and that. And so, yeah, they don't want to go through the basics. Right. So I already know all this stuff. I read all this stuff already. I've done this. I've done that. Um, and that's, that's just very, very common. So you have to wait, find ways to um, keep them engaged, I guess is the best, the best way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, that, that range is tough. Uh, and I'll tell you something I've been, I have by no means perfected this because sometimes it goes terribly wrong. But one thing I like to do is the students that are more advanced, once I kind of figure out in my class, we spend a lot of time together. Students that are more advanced, I like to pair them with the students that maybe are less advanced and almost put them into a teaching role, right? Because one one of the best things you can do to learn yourself is to teach someone else. And so yeah, maybe they are really good with this stuff. Well, have them explain it to somebody else. And all of a sudden, maybe they'll get to a point and they're like, ah, I don't know. I, I understand this, but I don't know how to explain it. So they've got to think about it even more. And like I said, it doesn't always work, <laughs> I know. but, but I've, been, I've been messing around with it and trying I'll to- you, I'll give you a perfect example of that. Okay. okay. Um, let's say you got 12 students in a class and- You've got, you're in the shop and you've got, I don't know, four cars to work on and you're playing with a picoscope, right? So you got a picoscope on each car and you've probably seen it. Um, one student gloms on to the picoscope and does all the connections and does all the button pushing and the drop down menus and choose the amp probe and choose the scaling and change the time base and all the stuff that you have to do to get something as simple as, you know, a fuel pump capture. Right. And and you you know, being an instructor standing back watching this group of four students mess with this car, that one of those students was doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. That 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 was the student that was that was doing everything, right? And they get it done before let's say the class is two hours long, they're done 30 minutes in, right? All right, perfect. But they did it all. Yep. So then you you know, eh, reset everything, shut the computer down, restart the computer and say, all right, cool. Now you guys do it again. But John, you don't touch this laptop, right? You you can give advice because you did it correctly and let someone else do it and, and force them to physically do it. Because I'm sure you've seen it where students just kind of, Ride the coattails. Yep. Right. And and the students that do well are the students that like jump in and start pushing the buttons and do whatever. And now you're saying you and, and I agree with you. You're like, all right, cool. You got it down. 
for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Now your group, let's do it again. But you almost become the instructor role. Yep. Because you as an instructor have four cars with four different groups of four students, right? So you bounce back and forth. It's just like a hand on hands-on class in the industry. I can't sit there with one group of four or five or three, you know, all, all day long. I got to bounce around, you know, so give some direction. So if, if you had a student that was a rock star, pardon, pardon the expression, but it was a rock star. Cool. You did awesome. You give them a little pat on the back. Now let's, you know, let's do it again, but you don't do it. Right. You yep. would advise and you still have to come back and check on them. But exactly. So then that's how you know which students are going the right direction. I don't care if it's scopes or breaks or whatever the case, right? But you know which which students are the top of your class, no matter what grade they get, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. You know, you know who is passionate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's well, it, it's it's so interesting. And I'm sure it's not exclusive to this trade only, but you'll see, you know, a student come through and out in the shop, you can tell, like you said, they're going to be a rock star when they get into a shop. Like they're going to make a ton of money. Um, but sometimes that guy is not the best in class, the academic side of things. Right. And that, that's all, that's been a challenge for me too, is, you know, how do you grade that individual, um, you know, for the classic A, a to F scale or whatever. How do you grade that guy who you can just tell, man, he, he could walk into a shop right now and, and you know, push 50, 60 hours of flat rate. Um, and, and I guess whether that's a real measurement of a good tech, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's not the best way to put it, but you know, he's going to make some money, right. right? But he's just not, he's not there in the classroom, whether it's effort or, you know, education or whatever, whatever he's missing there. Uh, that's always been an interesting aspect that I've seen in this trade. Um, and I've run across a few of those students over the years. I think, I think you, if you like, we both have been in the industry a while and then moved into education. Um, you you kind of realize which, which person, which direction they would do good at. Meaning um, you, you might have, a, a student that does not do good on tests, and I hate to say this, but they don't do good on tests, but they can pound out a ball joint, do an alignment, and you know, do do that kind of work. And there's always a place for that for that type of technician. If you want to rock out uh, uh, flat rate hours and and you are good with you know busting your knuckles, doing a tie rod end or you know, ball joint, whatever the case, right? There's a place for that technician. If you're comfortable there, that's fine, right? If if you show some, I almost said a word that would have been very offensive to <laughs> to the ball joint guy. <laughs> so I gotta be I gotta be careful, you know. Um, uh, let's say you want to deal with some some of the more advanced stuff. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, I mean, even if it's just electrical, but I mean, ADAS, you know, the stuff that's that's coming in the future, you know, you, you're going to have to be able to read. You're mm-hmm. going to have to. 
right? And I, I hope you don't argue with me on that because you <laughs> no. have to read service information. You're going to have to be able to read wiring diagrams. And, and I'll be completely honest, the majority of my time and probably yours is, is spent uh, looking at information more than it is actually on the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you do a couple of tests and hopefully they're accessible modules or, you know, whatever the case, right? Yeah. You do a couple of tests and, and it's good, but it's, it's all the knowledge and it's in reading and it's in comprehension. So if, if there's anyone listening to this, that, that uh, we'll use ASE as an example. I had a previous employer that, that told me they didn't care about ASE because um, if you pass an ASE test, it, it doesn't mean you can fix a car, which I would agree is true. Maybe you're a good test taker, right? Mm-hmm. And they said you could be great at fixing a car and fail an ASE test because you're not a good test taker, but you could fix that ball joint or, you know, whatever the case. Now more than ever, I think, you know, the, the, the fact that you can pass an ASE test or any other test for that matter, or a college program or whatever the case, it, 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 if you can't think logically, can't read, can't analyze a diagram, can't, you know, those kind of things. Um, Yeah. So if, if my, we'll go extreme. If my diagnostic technician, I own a shop and I have a diagnostic technician. If he can't pass an ASE test, then yeah, he's not my diagnostic technician anymore. You You can't pass the test. Right now, if I had a ball joint guy, I would really hope that he could pass the, you know, steering and suspension, <laughs> yeah. you know, th- those kind of things. And you're not a good test taker. Well, guess what? It means you can't read freaking service information. It's, it's, uh, it's, ah, uh, it's, I don't think it, w- it is what it was 20 years ago. Okay. And that's, that's perfect for a transition here. Uh, I want to read, um, I don't know if you know Hans Jorgensen, I think he's in uh, Utah, Um, but he sent me a question because he's working towards being an instructor as well. And he's, he's a technician. He works on a lot of Volkswagens and um, he was asking me because he's, he's been doing part-time and he's working uh, towards being a full-time instructor. But his question was real simply put, what does the average technician need to know to be successful in this trade and and meaning in today's automotive world. Right. And we had a little bit of a discussion off of that and his, I don't know if arguments the right word, but perspective on the current level of curriculum at the school he's trying that he's been substituting at is that it's way behind. It is 20, 30 years behind focusing on, you know, a lot of what, the ASE uh, or old NATEF accreditation stuff used to be like engine rebuilding and trans rebuilding and diff rebuilding and that sort of stuff. Those are all the requirements that we actually still have to meet for our program too. But that the technician that's going in the field right now would be better served with (laughs) knowing more stuff about electrical, about computers, about networks, about diagnostics, ADAS, um, you know, possibly even 
EV stuff, depending on how far you want to go, but they're, they're going to be better served because that's what the technician needs to know. So where I'm going with this is the technician that's getting into this or the student that's going to be a tech, do you think that the level of knowledge they need now is more than it used to be? Or do you think maybe it's shifted from what it used to be? Meaning that, I don't know this, I feel like it used to be more of a true craftsmanship to build an engine, to rebuild a transmission where now I think a lot of what guys are doing is, is parts hanging or it's the technical side of thing. Can you program a PCM? Can you read a diagram? Can you diagnose this electrical circuit or figure out this network? I, I think the required knowledge base is shifting more towards that. Uh, what are your feelings on that? So there's a there's a couple things we have to worry about that, that you mentioned. Um, a college has to worry about ASC uh, education. It used to be NATEF, correct? Yep. So you have, to, you have to meet that task list. Um, and the task list has changed over the years. Um, every couple of years it changes. And uh, I'll use automatic transmission as an example. Um, there used to be a whole bunch of tasks and now it's been greatly reduced because no one is, I shouldn't say no one, that's the wrong word. Um, people aren't rebuilding transmissions in the shops the way they used to, right? Or at least in the frequency that they used to. Same thing with, um, we've all seen it for many, many years. You don't rebuild alternators and put a new rectifier bridge and all that stuff. And you, you buy a reman one with a warranty and it's cheaper. And can you even get parts sometimes for alternators? So the industry has changed. So has the task list, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, as a result, the curriculum has to change. So as the curriculum changes, it changes to what? Electricity. If you really think about it, and, and this is something I used to ask my students, I'm like, name a system in the car, in a modern car, that does not have electricity involved in it. Right? And, and people say, cup holders. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, well, they got heated and cooled cup holders now in some cars. So there right, you go. <laughs> right. Exactly. And exactly. And the only thing and the only thing that someone some I remember the student, he was kind of a smart ass. Um, <laughs> the only thing he came up with was carpet. And okay. I'm like, okay, so there's no electricity carpet. But I had to I had to retort by saying, um, uh, yeah, one of these days we might have heated carpet, <laughs> right? At the moment we don't, but but any anything else in the vehicle has electricity. So that what does that mean? The the curriculum has to shift towards electrical, and I don't care if it's steering. Right, we got electric power steering, we got steering angle sensors. You know, uh, we got uh, steering force sensors. Um, you know, with and then in all the ADAS with radar. LIDAR, you know, infrared, um, you know, all, all the, you know, all that stuff. Um, analog brakes have been around forever. Airbags, you know, and every system on the car has to do with electricity. So where should the curriculum go? Electrical, right? Really, mm -hmm. you know, you still have to worry about, um, you know, alignment angles. Oh, 
crap. Now what? How important are alignment angles yeah. nowadays? Right before it was, oh, my alignment is you know a couple of degrees off on whatever measurement you want. My tires wear kind of funny, but if they're off a couple of degrees now, it's going to affect the semi-autonomous driving systems, right? Because the car isn't the the center line is not right, and you know it's it's it is not your grandfather's gas station throwing on tires and brakes. It's it's not right. right? So it, it it makes the the education part of it um, a challenge. It, it, it does because it's it's not it's not what people think it is. And I'm not only saying that about the students that are coming in, the the young kids. I'm thinking about the the, the general consumer doesn't realize how advanced our our industry has become, right? And and the people that have to work on the on the car. Yeah, going from a 2010 to a 2020, you look at them on the outside, and I mean, up here, one of them's a little, maybe a little rusted, but eh, they don't, they don't look that different. They both go down the road, but man, I don't know. The technology has has really come a long way just in the last couple decades uh, on what we have to know, and that is a challenge of an instructor. Is the car keeps getting bigger and bigger um, as far as technology and systems and our time to teach has not changed at all. We have to right. <laughs> try to fit everything in, in a small, small window or take some part of the car away that we don't teach. But going back to what you said, where we can tie it, a lot of it together is focusing on electrical skills, just those basics, because yeah. it applies to everything. You know, That's why I've always liked electrical right from the start, because I'm like, it's the same on everything. It doesn't care if it's a Honda or BMW, it's going to do the same thing. So I can apply this constant to everything I I work on. So I focus on let's, let's learn these basics really well and apply them to all these areas. So we try to do the same thing with our students is to, how can I inject that into everything that we talk about? Right. See, now you, you, I'm going to take this a little bit different angle. You, you have an advantage much like I do, and and some of my favorite instructors, some of my mentors, some of my some of my college instructors, not all of them, but some of my college instructors. Um, but in, in aftermarket or or college doesn't matter. Um, they were working on cars every day, right? Just like you and I are, mm-hmm. right? You're you're teaching at the college, but you're still doing mobile. You're still working on cars. That keeps you sharp. And up to date, correct? My- I, I think you have to. I'll let you continue, but I, I just I don't see I don't see how I could do it if I wasn't working on cars right now. But I'll, I'll let you continue. No, no, I, I would I would that's exactly where I was going, right? So so my the the people I gain the most knowledge from are the people that are working in the industry and decide to trade. Right, whether it's college level or aftermarket or uh, whatever the case, right? Um, so you, you get to see the newest stuff, the latest stuff, the greatest stuff. And I found um, that with not only in not only college, college it really helps, but in, in the industry as well. Uh, most of my classes are case study based, so um, I, I might cover a piece of theory, 
right? A, a, a friend and colleague of mine, Eric Ziegler, uh, likes to call me Bill Nye the Science Guy, okay? <laughs> because I, I, I get the theory part of it, <laughs> sure. right? Uh, and, but so I'll, I'll interject that into a class. And, and then here's how this particular component works. Here's some theory behind it. But then I reinforce it with a case study, which might be a broken car I worked on, um, you know, two weeks ago. You know, the, the Nissan that you brought up before we started this call, but that was one I worked on just a couple months ago. And that was a, an oddball one. But yeah, and I got the, all the data recorded. So you can you can talk about the theory and you get the eye rolling or the the college students like falling asleep and then and then when you bring the the real broken car in and start asking questions well what would you do next mm-hmm. okay oh well guess what that wouldn't that wouldn't resolve it i'm going to do a compression test nope it's all good right what next now we're going to check ignition timing how can check ignition timing there's no mark on the crank pulley and a timing light. And by the way, we're not doing distributors in class anymore, <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, you, you plant those seeds and get them thinking. But the fact that you have a, a, a real broken car case study that you fixed to, I'm sorry to say it this way, screw with them, right? You, mm-hmm. you make them think. And yep. it's a little different looking at a broken car even if it's on the screen, even if it's on your whiteboard or your projector screen or whatever the case, it's a little bit different than just say, read chapter two. Yeah. And it's, right. so I, I love, I always love case studies when I go to a class and I never really thought about why I enjoy listening to someone else's a case study that they go through, but there's something, and here's an area where I know nothing about is, is psychology, but there's something about it, a story of any kind, regardless of what you're trying to get across to someone, where they're going to remember it. And maybe it's pulling on emotions, or again, I, I'm way outside of my <laughs> capacity here, but yeah. I do know a story is going to help st- stick information in somebody's head better than me just listing off facts about a car. Um, that if I if I give it some personality, some, some human element to here's where I screwed up. Here's where I tested that thing. And it wasn't right at all. And I, I went the totally wrong direction, but then we ended up finding it was this, I'll be out in the shop with the students and they'll be like, Oh, this was like the one car you talked about that you did this on. Then you screwed up. I was like, yeah, exactly. And I, you're, you're remembering this stuff. And so there's some, there's something to that, that um, helps. And I actually, I have the students present their own case studies after the shop period. And it can be something basic, but I want to hear them, you know, explain their process um, in front of the class, which it, some enjoy more than others, but it, there, there is, there is an element to that, that really, really makes a class, whether, you know, whether I'm going to one or I'm teaching one better, I think. Right. I, I, uh, I was going to say something. Let me see if I can, the the I tell students the second best way to learn is from your mistakes. The best way to learn is from the mistakes of others. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. <laughs> right. So I I always preempt. You know when uh, when I'm about to tell you a mistake I made in the past, like put an air hammer through my hand because I was an idiot or something like that. You know, uh, like here's what happened. 
here's why it happened. You know, here's why I diagnosed this car wrong, whatever the case, you know, a learning, right? Remember it. Yeah. And you know what? They're never going to remember it. They're going to make that mistake themselves. And then when they make that mistake, then they're going to look back and go, God damn it. Scott <laughs> told me not to make that, but then they won't forget it. Right. Yep, so yep, that's yeah, right. really it's, it's true. Um, there was something else I was going to say there too. And I forget what it is, but, uh, oh, oh, um, making students think, mm-hmm. right. And that's really kind of what we were talking about, you know, realize what's going on. Don't make the mistakes, learn from your mistakes, that kind of thing. Um, one thing I've done in the past and I haven't done it in a while, um, but you might be able to try this with your students is, uh, you might have discussions where we're not the engineers that designed this car. We just need to figure out what they did and, and figure out and, you know, diagnose it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a game in the past and it, it usually works out pretty good. It takes a day or not a day, but a whole class period. How long are your class periods? Like two hours? Uh, we have them all day from seven thirty to two. Oh, then you got plenty of time. Yeah. Okay. What what I used to do was, uh, and this would be for the little bit more advanced students. Um, I would say, all right, break up into groups, you know, three, four, whatever the case. Here's two pieces of paper, draw a battery on the top of each page, right? And then on one side is gonna be inputs, one side is gonna be outputs, and and make me a car that runs. Here, here's the criteria. It's a V6. Don't get fancy. Don't do variable valve timing. Don't do, you know, and any anything, you know, variable valve lift, displacement on demand. Don't do anything like that. You got a six-cylinder sequentially injected coil over plug vehicle, mm-hmm. right? And and draw me, make this car work. What do we need? Right. So, so they get to draw, you know, okay, here's six ignition clips. Okay. They all have a power feed here to the battery. And I'm not even concerned about fuses or ignition switches or anything like that. Here's fuses to make that work. These ground wires have to go to triggers in the PCM. Cool. Draw those. There's our coils, right? We got injectors. We got, you know, and, 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 and then as an instructor, you, you walk around the room and go, this car ain't going to start. It's not going to start. You're missing something, mm-hmm. right? Because you know the same thing that they know. It needs spark. It needs fuel. It needs okay. Why is this not going to start? Oh, because you forgot the freaking fuel pump. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. draw in a fuel pump. You know, uh, okay. Uh, for the fuel pump, we better have a relay. And I'm, I'm talking old school, but the point is that they are not reverse engineering a car. They're engineering a car, and if they if they can draw out the basics of what it takes to make an engine run, you know, electrically anyway, right. Then they can reverse engineer a wiring diagram when, when they need to, because they, you and I both know they get way more complex than what any one of these students is going to draw, but it's still still a fun exercise. And it's kind of funny because the times that I've done it, the when I first explain what what they should do, I get a lot of eye rolling and a lot of sighing and like, oh crap. <laughs> right? 
But by the end of class, they're all in a great mood. They're like, wow, that was that was fun. That was pretty cool because it reinforces what they know. Yeah. Right? They go, all right, cool. You can't do it with a first year student. <laughs> you right. gotta do it with someone that's had some of the classes, but you know, that's one of the one of the things I've done in the past. And I would I do that in the industry? No, I wouldn't do that to you know someone that's been in the industry 20 years and they're in my class and you know vision. Okay, draw me a cotton. No, <laughs> no. no. They're, they're, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna give me the middle finger <laughs> and say, you know, I'm out of here, you know. Well, that yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I'll have to I'll have to give that a shot and play with it. Putting their putting their knowledge down onto paper and yeah, exactly like you said, making them think. Um, I think that's another good transition point here, though. Is you mentioned that's not something you do in an industry led class, and I, I don't have any experience doing that mm-hmm. besides sitting in one. What are some of the big differences? between a college level and an industry level class that, that you noticed doing both? My biggest, Maybe what are some of the bigger things you got to consider when you're going into? Okay. Okay. That's a good way to say it. My, my biggest consideration is um, when, when I'm in a, in a, a room with however many people, I really have no clue what level they're at. Mm-hmm. Right. When, when you're at a college level, um, you, you have a kind of a window, right? Even if they were, you know, turning wrenches on the John Deere with their dad or throwing a motor in the Mustang or, you know, whatever they, they, they have, there's a small window, um, right. Um, for the most part. Okay. When you get out to, to teach at an industry event, you could have those individuals, but you could have someone that's been in the industry for 30 years, right. And is already doing programming and and owns four scopes and so the the level is is ridiculous okay and and that was actually that's one of the things that made me most nervous and still makes me nervous the first couple of minutes of class um is you know who's in this room you know and what are they smarter than me because there's definitely people that are smarter than me right um but the, the way I kind of approach that is, number one, you know, if someone asks a question and I don't know the answer, I admit I don't know the answer, that we'll put that aside. Um, but I try to build my classes um, working from uh, basic to advanced, right? So hopefully if someone comes to one of my, one of my industry classes, um, if they're advanced, they might be a little bit bored in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it, but I but I guarantee it's going to build, it's going it's going to move further forward, because the people that are are um, let, let's just use the term newer to the industry, right? They're they're going to get more in the beginning, and then they can hang as long as we build and build and build and build and build as we move through case studies. Because I reinforce everything with case studies, right? We work our way up, so so eventually. Um, the, the later part of the class is going to be a little bit more advanced and hopefully appease the, the uh, more advanced guys or girls, right? The, the mm-hmm. beginning would be, you know, the, the more entry level. And I don't want to say entry level, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I have to consider that there might be some entry level people sitting in the classroom. I suppose. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I hate about, um, uh, the way classes are built 
you know, it, if, if it says basic in the title, you're going to go to a, a conference in Dallas, Texas. I don't know. Okay. I'm just making it up, but, mm-hmm. but this class says basic and this class says advanced, you know, everyone's going to take the advanced class because they think they're advanced. They need the advanced stuff. Right. So I, I hate that billing. Um, <clears throat> there was a class recently. I'm going to be real careful. How I say this, uh, that that it had something to do with uh, de- decoding controller area network. Okay, I think. Okay, um, and to me, that means holy crap, we're doing serial decoding. We're gonna we're gonna look at the the cam capture and we're gonna figure out which module is talking and 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 that's insane stuff for your average technician. But I'm like, oh, this is awesome class was not that at all it was a, a basic hand class okay, okay. and it, it was a good class it was it was just build wrong right so I, I i would never say you know hey we're gonna do this advanced you know this and then go oh yeah we're gonna hook up a compression gauge and here's what compression is. <laughs> yeah no right. it's not advanced so that's one of the things i don't i don't like when um um a venue says is your it, when i when i'm pitching a class to teach right? uh-huh. because as a trainer you got to talk to a venue or or a, an event and say you know here's the class i have to offer what would you like and then they ask me is it basic intermediate or advanced like um all three <laughs> right <laughs> yeah send everybody how do i classify it you know what if i want to sell the class i'm just going to say advanced every freaking time but then i'm going to piss off um people that are attending because the it might not all be advanced. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, let's let's build. Let's so in a way, in a way, my my particular industry classes are kind of like your semester at the college, right? On one okay. particular topic. Let's pretend you had a, a a fuel class, right? And I don't know your curriculum. I don't know your class. But let's say you had a fuel injection class. Right? I, I do have a fuel class, so that's perfect. Right. Cool. So, so you start out with some basics, like, you know, what is fuel pressure? What is fuel volume? You know, let's do some electrical. How do we run a fuel uh, pump relay to power this pump? Okay. And then we'd start talking about port fuel. And then maybe you get into, you know, direct injection, high pressure pumps, you know, am I pretty close to your class? Yeah. That's, that's the scaling. (laughs) It goes exactly. Right. right? So you build same thing. Mm -hmm. So you're doing over a semester and, and and I'm I'm trying to do the same thing unless it's a very specific topic, but I'm trying to do the same thing in in a three to four hour time frame, right? Yeah, you know. And how how do you build that? So if if you were to do your semester fuel class in four hours, would you say it's beginning, advanced, intermediate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, all right? of the above. If I'm if I'm covering all that stuff, yeah, right, exactly, exactly. But you gotta you gotta cater to the you know that that is I I believe if I'm not mistaken, your question was the difference between uh, college level and and the industry, uh-huh. and, and I think that is that is the biggest difference because you have time, even if it's only a semester, but a semester is still a lot of time to stretch that information out whereas yeah. in the industry you gotta well with online virtual stuff now you're talking you know two hours 
probably max. So wow. what, what do you what do you cover in two to four hours? Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's 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 a little bit tough. All right. Let me ask you this: um, as far as putting on a class, because I mean, I I know what it takes to uh, prep for you know, my, my classroom and mm-hmm. what we do and boy, it, it <laughs> knocked me out of my socks. When I first started, I, um, I had, when I went on my first day, I had what I thought I was like, I got at least a day and a half, probably two days of material here, mm-hmm. perhaps ready to go. And I had never taught before. And I was through all of it by lunch. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have a clue the prep time to, running a class. And if, if anybody listening has never taught, it's it's crazy the amount of time you spend beforehand to get ready for this short period of actual class. So anyways, back to my question, what's it take for a three or four hour class for like, let's say vision or something similar to that, the, the preparation that goes Prep time? behind some, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, a lifetime. well 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 think about it you you said vision okay so vision is like the 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 would you agree one of the if not the premier event i I would agree with that definitely okay right maybe that's maybe that's a bad example because yeah i i would be like uh, no i'm never ready (laughs) that's okay but we'll go to the extreme you know what when i whenever i teach at vision too it's it's like hey i get that those jitters, right? But but the the point is that you know if if we're going to take it that far, what did it take to put together, uh, let's say, a programming class? Okay, I, uh, mm-hmm. met many years ago. I did a programming class. Uh, they're eight hours long, and Eric Ziegler uh, taught with me. So we, I, we I attended that class actually. Oh, you were there? Yes. <laughs> That was that was before I got into programming. So thank you. <laughs> hey, no problem. Ho- hopefully, I helped you out some, right? You did. So, yeah. uh, did we actually have the live modules that time, or no? Mm-hmm. We did when I programmed them on the screen. Yep, it was 2017. I okay. wait. I'm sorry. Cool. 18, 18. Yeah. I went. So yeah, I, you had I even modules. had the DR the three with a camera on it right at break time and you could, okay, cool. So you were that class. Perfect. Um, but you know, the, the prep time for that is you think now that you've been programming like, okay, cool. No problem. No problem. But we had to save all the screens. We, we had to go through the, the learning of, you know, Hey, I'm fixing cars every day. I'm programming this, I'm programming that I'm programming the next thing and, and making your mistakes and then putting it all together into class material. And if I'm not mistaken, that class started with Ford. Uh, no, it started with the basics, uh, which is probably battery chargers and equipment. And then it went into uh, Ford because Ford was at the, at the time and probably still is one of the easier ones to do. So, and, and more forgiving ones. Um, mm-hmm. So we did, we did Ford and then uh, we did GM next and went through the tooling and did the programming for GM. And then we did Chrysler. And then at the end of class, we did a couple oddballs. Um, I shouldn't say oddballs, but some Toyota, some Honda, some, you know, whatever. With the cars, we don't program that often, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it, think about it. You being a mobile tech, how long would it take you to save all the screens 
to put together a Ford class, a GM class, a Chrysler class, a Toyota, a Honda, a, there might've been a Mitsubishi in there, right? Yeah. So, so when you say how much prep time, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know how much time was, you know, to, to be honest with you, I try to make little folders for every car I work on. Sometimes I don't. Depends on my day. Depends on, you know, how quick I'm trying to get in and out. If it's a good car, I try and, you know, make a folder. And then that folder ends up being on my desktop. My desktop is messy as hell, right? But then when it comes time to write a class, like, oh, do I have enough cars to write a class on EVAP or PCV or... You know, and I go, all right, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's, here's, you know, that's how my network class happened. I saved so many freaking network problems. And I still, to this day, get network issues all the, all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So I save them and throw them in a folder. And I mean, I could probably write two or three network classes with all the broken cars network wise, you know, and, and that's so. Your question was, how much prep time? I don't have a good answer. It's a lot more than people think. Yeah. It's a lot more than people think. I, I think that's a, that's a great way to put it. Because, um, uh, like I said, it was a lot more than I thought just for a college class. Um, the time in front of the class is just a fraction of what you put in. And behind the scenes <laughs> to get yeah. ready. So yeah, for, for anybody that attends any class, just um, keep that in mind for your instructor, how much work they put into what they're presenting in front of you. Yeah. But you know what? Your students are going to appreciate you because they know, um, excuse me, they know that you're still out there working and you're bringing real life stuff back to class. And, and they, they, they know that. They know the difference between an instructor that is is uh, in the mix as mm-hmm. opposed to the lab coat textbook instructor that is riding out his retirement. Oh, yeah. I, I had that instructor, you know, various classes and stuff that had been has, hadn't touched a car in 20 years. And yeah. I'm sure they were very, very good at it when they did it. I have no doubt. But you can tell this is this is really old outdated stuff right. that, that we're covering here. And yeah, you can, you can sense that very quickly. Uh, and I, I set out to not be that way again. Like I mentioned before, I feel like I have to be doing this because as soon as I stopped wrenching, actually Scott, like, cause I, I went from a full-time tech at Firestone. I got the job teaching and very, very quickly. I'm like, boy, I just feel the rust setting in on my entire skill set because I'm not doing this every day. I was working Monday through Saturday, every day at Firestone, um, you know, and a lot of it's, you know, ball joints or whatever, but I'm still I'm in it every single day. And now I'm not, I have to do something. So that's when I uh, expanded out to the mobile thing, but I don't feel like I can serve them if I'm not actually doing it uh, that's my opinion maybe people other have different perspectives on teaching but that's oh. that's the only way i feel comfortable standing in front of them every day okay we can go back i said it earlier those who can't do teach right <laughs> yeah but you're still doing it mm-hmm. right same same thing with me right i'm still doing it and and that's 
to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons I, I hemmed and hawed about taking my full-time position at the college uh, 11 or 12 years ago, whatever it was, uh, because I liked working on cars and I wanted to stay in the mix and I didn't want to do the students an injustice of me being a full-time teacher and not touching cars anymore. But but I, I, I worked it out so that, you know, I could do a part-time consulting pretty much, mobile, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. consulting business so I could still touch cars every day even if it was only for an hour or two I could still do some mobile work so I was still on the cutting edge I was still seeing the right so that's that's probably one of the main reasons I went to teaching full-time instead of part-time um and then eventually and I, I still touched cars but eventually I got tired of the politics of the school yeah so that that's you know, and, and my mobile, mobile business was growing. So sure, you know. So that's that's why I went that route. Well, some of the reasons why I went I, that route. I can I can relate to to both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, we had a discussion not that long ago, so you you know you know where my head's at. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so after this, you got to go to a committee meeting. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that's the other behind the scenes things that the yeah. students don't see is all the all the committee and advisory and, and there's, there's so much. There's so my, my school email is ridiculous. The, the things that you get sent <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, and yeah, with, I, I don't know how far I want to get into it. I'll get in trouble. We're going down a different road now. <laughs> yes. I love where I work. It's a great place. I actually, I really do like where I work, but yeah. Actually, actually, I love the college that I worked at. I love the people that I work with. Uh, it was just the, it, my, my, my point was I want to teach these young kids how to diagnose and fix cars. That is what I really wanted to do. And, and the, the politics of the college and all the extra meetings and so forth that, you're there, you know, some of them are a total waste of time. Right. It's, yeah. It, right. So I, uh, we're, I, we're I almost aliens as uh, I'll say blue collar workers or tradesmen. When we come into an academic setting, it's yeah. there are, it is two completely different worlds. And I, I was shocked by it. Honestly, the, the just, I don't know. The, the current term is woke. And I am as far from that as possible. And it was just very, it was, it was very strange to be in that uh, environment. Um, and again, I, I like, I like where I work. I really do. But boy, trades versus academics, just there, there's a, there's a big difference. There. There's a big divide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we could do a whole episode venting about that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave that for a, another day. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Anything, anything else for me? Um, no, I think we, I covered, we covered it and then some, so awesome. This was, uh, this was fun. I feel like we were just, uh, <laughs> just BSing. So <laughs> yeah, we, we pretty much were, but yeah, you know, uh, that's great. We have so we have so much in common from, you know, our, our history and, you know, the same path. And, mm-hmm. uh, so it makes it easy just to sit and BS a little bit. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, offering all this uh, knowledge for everybody. It's- cool. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to give Scott another big thank you for coming on and talking with me today. I really enjoyed that. I also want to thank everyone for listening. Hey, if you got any questions about the show or anything that we talk about, or maybe you have a suggestion for episode content, maybe a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you want to be on the show, feel free to reach out to me and you can do so via the Facebook group, which I'll have a link to in the show notes. Check that out. Join the group. You got to answer three questions. It's not that tough, but um, you can uh, reach out to me on Facebook as well if you have any suggestions. But other than that, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.